Our first reading is from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. In chapter 4, Paul has been talking about the invitation that we have to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 43. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place with yourself. Open our ears and open our hearts so that we might learn to love as you love us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. When I saw the passage that I had been given for this Sunday, my heart sank. I did not want to preach this. 
I didn't want to stand up in front of you, a congregation that I am just beginning to know and love, and tell you that as Christians, you are called to actively love and pray for not only the Tampa Bay Lightning in their loss, but for whoever the Leafs play in round two, the Boston Bruins or the Florida Panthers. And you're not just to pray for consolation in their loss. You're to pray for strength of limbs and courage and heart, that they will play to the glory of God and for the good of hockey everywhere. <laughs> Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. All joking aside, this passage calls us to places that we don't want to go. Love your enemies. Of all the texts in the Bible, this one has to be one of the clearest and the most difficult. There's no wiggle room here. You don't need to go to a commentary to know what Jesus is saying. There's no translation difficulties to the words, love your enemies. It's not hard to understand. It's just hard to practice. The Cambridge Dictionary defines an enemy as a person who hates or opposes another person and tries to harm them or stop them from doing something. And each of us has known what it is to have our best interests or the best interests of those we love opposed, whether intentionally or incidentally. From the parent who imposes their own dreams on their child, to the politician or the church leader who acts out of fear or ambition, we have all experienced hurt and opposition at the hands of another, whether on a large scale or on a small scale. In some cases, there has been tremendous hurt. There's been betrayal. Some of that hurt and betrayal may have been caused by those you don't even know, a politician or a leader who has let you down, business owners or CEOs, who have put their own interests ahead of others, celebrities who have used their power for harm. And some of that hurt and betrayal has been caused by people you have known personally. The church leader who broke trust with you. The family member who cut you off. The friend who put their interest ahead of yours. The spouse who cheated on you or abused you. Sometimes we would say that we don't have any enemies because that feels like too strong a label for the hurt that is done to us. But sometimes it's all too easy to know who our enemies are because they've left us with scars all over our souls. And whether or not we've actively experienced the hatred of another person, whether we or not we've ever labeled somebody with this word enemy, all of us have experienced harm of varying degrees at the hands of another, because that is what it means to live in this broken world filled with broken people. And in what I believe is the hardest command in all of scripture here at the Sermon on the Mount, at the crux of it all, Jesus tells us that we are to love those people. We are to love our enemies. You've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We've come to the final of six commandments that Jesus has been teaching the crowds in his Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. 
He says in Matthew 5:17, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And he goes on to explain what the Mosaic laws really are getting at when it talks about murder, adultery, divorce, and swearing falsely. Jesus is painting a picture of a new kind of humanity, a humanity that looks different because it's looking back to what we were intended to be originally and also forward to what we are called to become, a people that belongs in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of love. Last week, Tim opened for us Jesus' teaching on retaliation, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and what it looks like to overcome evil with good in creative ways. And this week, in the final lesson of this section, Jesus hits his audience with the truth of what is behind the second greatest commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Way back in Leviticus chapter 19, when the Lord is giving the law to Moses, the commandment first shows up. Love your neighbor as yourself. But it posed a dilemma for those seeking to follow the law, because who exactly constitutes a neighbor? In general, it was understood to be those belonging to the nation of Israel, those who followed God's commandments. And this makes a lot of sense, because it's natural to love those who belong to our tribe, who believe the same things we do, to show favor to those who treat us well, to take care of our own, and to oppose those who oppose us, to oppose those who oppose God's law, to hate those who hate us, and to hate those who hate God's law. And while it never actually says anywhere in the Old Testament that you are to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, as apparently the teaching had been adapted to say by Jesus' time, there are many places in the Old Testament that show that practically this was what was understood. Even King David, the most beloved of all Israelite kings, the man after God's own heart, even he wrote psalms cursing his enemies. Take Psalm 139, a beautiful psalm, aside from this verse, which says, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. Or Psalm 59, also by David, which says, God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. For the cursing and lies they utter, consume them in wrath. Consume them until they are no more. And anyone who reads these psalms sees how natural this language feels and could easily understand that this was not in fact, or could easily forget that this was not in fact how it was all meant to be. It was never humanity's intended purpose to have enemies of any kind. What feels so natural is, in fact, completely unnatural. One might say, unhuman. And so Jesus reminds his listeners what humanity was intended to be and shows how we can get back to what is truly our natural state by going against what feels natural. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Love those who oppose you. Pray for those who hate you. In Luke's gospel, he tells the provocative story of the Good Samaritan, a story in which the neighbor 
is the Samaritan, the hated people by the Jews. Because neighbor, Jesus wants us to understand, neighbor was never meant to be exclusive. The love of neighbor that God is talking about in the law to Moses is a love that is intended to extend to everyone, every single person in the entire world, and especially those who have hurt you. But why? Why do we need to enact this particularly painful form of love and prayer? Why isn't simple love of neighbor enough? Because, Jesus says, that's no more than what anyone else does in this fallen world. That's just doing what feels natural. But Jesus has come to remind us what humanity is supposed to look like, and we're supposed to reflect the image of God. This is how God loves, Jesus says, and therefore this is how you show your relation to him and fit into his kingdom, by doing as he did. For he makes his sun shine on the evil and on the good, and he sends his rain on the unjust and the just. And this is how we show that we are his children, by forgiving and loving everyone, no matter what they've done, because that is what he has done. Because the thing is, deep down, I know that I am not the just. I belong to that category called the unjust. I have wronged so many people in my life, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. I have been the enemy that they have had, even those I love. I have set my needs above my neighbors, I have acted in pride and foolishness and anger and fear. I am the unjust that God is shining his sun on. I am the unjust that God is sending his rain on, and I need that rain so badly. Romans 5 tells us that this is who God is, a God who shows his love for us while we were still his enemies, still opposed to him. A God who reconciled himself to us by the death of his son. The one who prayed even as he was being crucified, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in these few verses, at the end of Matthew chapter 5, we're thrust up against all the pain and the glory of the gospel because this is what it means to be a Christian. This is the crux of it all, to forgive as we have been forgiven and to love as we have been loved. To cause our sun to shine on those who have set themselves against us. And to pour our rain on those who have hurt us and who hate us. Because we have been given sun and rain. And we belong to a new order of humanity, one that is characterized by love. But how? How do we do this? And the truth of the matter is there is no easy way because it requires putting to death our human nature and sacrificing our deep hurt and desire for revenge. I know what this death to self feels like. It feels like death. It feels impossible. This is the hardwood of the cross that we are up against in which God calls us to sacrifice our own hurt and our desire for revenge and pain and it feels like death. And the only way to do it 
is to embrace that cross. And in doing so, we find hope. A number of years ago, I went through a very difficult time that involved pain and betrayal, opposition, and deep hurt. And one of the things I struggled with was the feeling that if I were to love and forgive my enemies, those who had done me wrong, I would just be letting them off the hook. That there would be no justice, because they would be getting away with the hurt that they had done me, without ever really knowing what it had cost me, the brokenness that they had inflicted. And it took me a long time to realize that that is not how this works. Fleming Rutledge, in her book, The Crucifixion, writes this. Forgiveness, in and of itself, is not the essence of Christianity, though many believe it to be so. Forgiveness must be understood in its relationship to justice if the Christian gospel is to be allowed its full scope. As Archbishop Desmond Tutu of South Africa has said, forgiveness is not cheap. It is not facile. It is costly. Reconciliation is not the easy option. It cost God the death of his son. I wrote this in my journal during those years of pain. The secret to forgiveness is not simply giving up or releasing pain, but entrusting that pain, all of the sin and injustice done to me, and all of the sin and injustice that I have done, to a God who is both just and merciful. The hard part of forgiving is not feeling like the pain is acknowledged, but God hears. God sees each pain and feels pain over it. The pain both done to me and that I have done. He deals with it in an infinitely just way. And so it's safe to entrust our pain to him. He doesn't just say, well, doesn't that feel better and toss it out the window? He holds it. And knowing that my pain is entrusted to his care, I can be free, free to forgive and to release and to move on. And being in that space awakens a new sorrow, not for the pain that was done to me, but the pain that each person who has sinned has inflicted on their own soul, doing damage to themselves. And then that sorrow leads to compassion and forgiveness. The cross doesn't ask us for excuses to negate any of the pain of the world, whether pain we've caused or pain caused to us or simply pain caused by circumstance. The cross can and it does hold it all. It is Jesus on the cross who atones for every single pain, everything done to you and done by you. These wounds on your souls, these scars, they're fully acknowledged and answered for, not by your enemies, but by Christ. They are held by him and wept over by him and paid for by him. What does this love for our enemies look like? Tim spoke last week of a creative response to injustice that doesn't mean simply being a doormat, but looking for what the other person actually needs. Love never means submitting to abuse. Creative love looks for the good of the other, 
And that may mean ensuring that they are held responsible for their actions. It may mean putting yourself out of harm's way so that they can't continue to harm them and yourself. It may mean speaking up about the truth of a situation. But whatever it looks like, prayer is integral to this process. Because only God knows the full extent of every human heart, including our own. Only God can hold both justice and mercy perfectly in love. And so we're invited simply to hold up our enemies to God in prayer, knowing that he knows what's best for them and for us. And none of this is easy. I know it. But for those who are in a painful place right now, for those who may be sitting and thinking, I just can't do this, and feeling the weight of despair, beloved, take courage. There is hope. The mandate, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, can feel like it's putting you between a rock and a hard place. To die to self and to love those who oppose us or to hold on to our pain and to die to love. And Jesus is asking you to release a pain that may just feel impossible to give up. A rock and a hard place, yes. But the rock that Jesus is pushing us against is himself. It is his love that we lean on and shelter under. And there is honey in the rock that is Christ that will ease every pain of ours. And there is water in the rock that is Christ that will quench every thirst for revenge. Press against him. Shelter under him. And let him comfort you. The poet and author Joyce Rupp has a poem that is called Leaning on the Heart of God. And here are a few phrases from it. I'm leaning on the heart of God. I'm resting there in silence. No resistance or complaint is heard as I lean upon God's welcome. There's gladness for my coming. There's comfort for my pain. I lean and lean and lean upon this heart that hurts with me. There's solace for my soul and refuge for my exiled tears. It is enough for me to know that the heart of God is with me, full of compassion and mercy, tending to the wounds I bear. Let him love you whole, beloved. Jesus ends this entire section of the Sermon on the Mount with a disturbing line. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And many people have seen this and shaken their heads and walked away. Because we know that no matter how hard we try for perfection, we are not going to get there. But here, too, there is hope. The word that Jesus uses for perfection is the Greek word teleos. And while one translation of teleos is perfect, it can also be translated complete, whole, mature. This is the goal that we are striving for, the wholeness and completeness and maturity of the new humanity shown to us in Jesus Christ. Of course we aren't there yet. We're fragmented and broken and still caught up in so often in our own ways. And it takes practice and work and discipline 
to begin forming these habits that will enable us to live comfortably in this new kingdom, the kingdom of God. So practice. Start small. The next time you're tempted to badmouth some giant corporation, as I often am, say a prayer instead for its CEO, that their heart may be transformed. Who knows what God might do? The next time you grumble about a politician, as I often do, pause and pray for wisdom for them instead. Who knows what God might do? Practice the habit of praying for those who oppose you on a distant level so that it doesn't feel like such a giant leap to pray for those who have actually hurt you on a personal level. And maybe, by the grace of God, we will come to a place where we can say to every single neighbor in the entire world, even those who have hurt us, like Martin Luther King when he was preaching on this very same text, I love you. I would rather die than hate you. As we press into the rock that is Christ, as we draw near to the one who did die rather than hate us, and as we seek to love him better, we will learn how to love our neighbors, including our enemies. And the more we love, the more whole we become, the more human we become, the more like Christ. And so we pray, Father, forgive them and forgive us and teach us to love. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.